Howdy, gang. Backcountry and Barbells. Joe Schmack, Jeremy Day. Uh, getting ready. It's so crazy with all this um, craziness we've been through this year that we're, liter- we're literally, um, at time of this recording, what, Jeremy, four days from being in the Elkwoods, the real Elkwoods. Four days for the opener and three days until we actually get up there and the excitement begins and we all rally up and it it's gonna be something. I mean, and we had the we had the scouting trip with the boys, so we got the spot and, and had a couple spots laid out for camp and I think we even you know, I'll tell you what was funny about those boys. Um we got close to seeing an elk or two, but damn it, those boys were loud. <laughs> I know, man. They were having too way too much fun. Yeah, and you talk about it too. I mean, when we were, you know, when I was first getting into this, I thought, well, the spot that we hunt's not too far from me. You know, should we spend more time in there scouting? But and then when we were out there with the boys, I was like, are we doing more harm than good right now? (laughs) And I was like, I I was like, luckily we're two weeks out. But uh, it was cool to watch them run around and you know hack up wood and you know be in the real woods and. I kept asking Mason not to not to bag on his mother, but I'm like, Mason, what kind of weekend do you like? The weekends where mommy has every hour planned and we do 19 activities or a weekend like this where we just show up and hang out. And he goes, depends. If we're going to Legoland, I want mommy to plan it. <laughs> if we're going to the woods, I want you to plan it. So it was pretty cool. <laughs> And that that's a perfect compromise right now. That, that's perfect, right? Yeah, I I'm not the I'm not the just, Michelle's the same way, man. She always plans the trips, and I don't do it because I'm a get there and do it guy. Yeah. Okay. Where's Legoland? All right. <laughs> what time is it open? What time is it close? Yeah. Perfect. Let's go. My wife, she's got it all figured out. Where we're staying, um, where I, we're eating, itineraries. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's cool. And I, but I was going to say, I got to, I got her head spinning a little bit because if you remember, there was a moment out at the scouting trip where the boys were probably alone for what, 90 minutes where me <laughs> and Rob were like in that basin, just practicing yeah. angle shots. And for me, like it was super important because it, it, it was a cool reminder for me. Like, you know, I got on this range and I have this I have this thing I practice and my routine's pretty good and I'm shooting there on that range. I have a great routine there, but man, when we got out and we're shooting at angles and we're trying to shoot lanes between trees, you know, it wasn't stressful, but the difference in the topography, the difference in the angles, having to pick a lane and find the target and the low light scenarios were just enough to throw my routine off. And yeah, you know, it took me, what did you say? It probably took me like, probably took me three good rounds to dial into a group. Just and 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 it was a matter of dialing my process, and I had to figure out that for me, shooting at shooting at you know intense angles required me to draw level and then tilt my body and to anchor properly. Because what I was doing at those early shots was I was looking down and it kind of was screwing up my anchor point. So. It was cool to do though, man. That was, but but I was still my wife was spinning because she goes, "What were the boys doing?" I was like, <laughs> I looked at her and I said, "I don't know. <laughs> I don't know." But when we got back, we to got camp, up there. The fire was still going. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> they, they had axes. They were chopping wood. 
Yeah. Some were sitting down and just BSing. I mean, they were, that was a really cool moment, man. I thought it was pretty awesome. And I thought it was good for the boys to be able to have that time where, man, we can control this area without our, our parents. Yeah. Which I think is important to give that, give them that sense of um, ownership and responsibility, right? Yeah, I was, uh, again, you know, I've been reading, I just, I'm finishing up this Blood and Thunder book. Before that, I read this uh, other book, Empire of the Summer Moon, and I've been, like, into a couple books, and I actually started another one, listening to one on the road trip back from Bend, which we'll get into, about some business in Oklahoma, but I'm following this chronological thing from, like, you know, it started reading these books about animals, and I go through all this different stuff, but... One of the parts about reading about some of these Native American cultures and even ancient cultures, their kids had a lot more time alone. Yeah. And, and I don't know that we need to digress too much, but, you know, I definitely am thinking like this summer with COVID, we definitely planned less and the kids were just on their own a little bit more. And it wasn't as crazy as what we let our boys do, you know, if axes and fires and. You know, there was a hairy moment where we had to coach him up about, you know, keep your arrow down range, right? I mean, like, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't devoid of almost incident. We had to coach him up. But, you know, they had time to f- screw up. They had time to figure it out. They had time to be on their own and, and, and work things out. And it's just with COVID, I think I've done a lot less planning this summer and a lot less regimen. And I think it's been good for him just to play and explore and, and do that, you know. I... I I hope that sticks as things start to open back up. Yeah, no, I agree, man. Because for a kid, that's how you grow quicker, right? That's how you mature faster, I think. I think with our society anymore, we hover our children. And we, yeah. oh, don't do that. You're going to get dirty. Or don't do this. I mean, I sit there and listen to parents in a park, and I'm like, man, you poor kids. <laughs> Me, I'm just like, go get hurt. Yeah. My it, daughter, when she was younger, man, she was so stinking crazy. There was a slide, you know, back then the slides were super steep and big and tall and we were in Portland and my daughter was two years old and she climbed up this ladder and everybody was looking at me like, uh, your daughter's, I was like, I know, She'll be she's all right. got it. She went down that damn slide, flew off the end, tumbled three or four times, walked around, got back up, went up the slide where everybody else was kind of had their hand on their butt and pushing them up. Oh, I got you. Don't be, you know? Yeah. And and I think that they learn failure, and with that, and when you learn failure as a person, you learn quicker. Yeah, we're so afraid to let them fail, right? But the thing yeah. is, when's the best time to fail? I'd rather get my ass kicked at eight years old than twenty-eight. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, I'd, heck yeah, man. I'd, I'd rather fail at a lemonade stand than you know Fortune five hundred, you know whatever with the house on the line. So. You know, but there, and then also to to your point too, there's some other interesting elements of play that I think kids and adults forget that are really important. Like play has some really essential elements that happen, and and it ha- and especially non structured play, like our boys had like hours of it. Yeah, and, and that's the sense where, like, when boys are just doing their thing or kids or adults when you don't structure too much one they make up rules so they learn how to cooperate and you saw that we have four different boys and they figured things out and there were times where they were playing together there were times where they were alone but they were they were being cooperative and that's really important then there's another element where when you're really rooted in play 
it's timeless. Like, do you ever get that sense where you just lose track? Like when we were even shooting the bow and arrow, like, oh yeah, I, I was ninety minutes. I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I can't believe they've been alone that long. <laughs> I know. So, so it's timeless, and when you're in that kind of timeless play, and you forget what time it is, you kind of forget who you are. It's like that. It's like your brain gets a moment to defragment, and that's like really good boredom. It's good mindlessness. It's it's it lets the body kind of reset and. So, you know, so there's even some good brain development stuff there where we can just let the kids go. It's just it's just tough for some folks and me me included at moments, you know, to just take the governor off in, in the hover mode. But I hope it can stick, man, because, you know, I feel like Mason. Mason is I think I feel like he's a different kid after that weekend. He seems mature. He's he's talking to me like, you know, and he's talking to me in a way that a big kid would. So it was cool. Yeah, no, I agree. Titus has been doing the same thing. He's been right at my hip. Yeah, uh, it's been it's been real awesome. And you know, and it's good for us as parents too, because you know that's when we're out there in the woods, there is no like, there's safety rules, but there isn't. Can't bring your shoes in on the house. You can't. Yeah. Do this. You can't wear that because it's the, it's this or that. You know, you wipe out all those minuscule rules that really don't matter at the end of the day. And you just enforce the rules that are safety rules and then just let them go do their thing. Just like when we were kids, man, we were out on the streets every single day. I, I don't know about you, but me, I was I was never home. Yeah, we used to take our bikes all the time. And I was actually remembering this because Mason kept asking to go down to a creek or crick. I forget how you define one or the other, but her on a podcast, like the difference between a creek or a crick is if there's a tire in it. But I can't remember it. <laughs> but <laughs> But I don't know. <laughs> or it's a regional thing, but um, I think but, it's regional. Yeah, we used to catch. We used to. I remember taking fishing poles, or um, you know, I I grew up in like a suburb area, but we had the Nishamani Creek, and we were always catching crayfish and salamanders and trying to dig up snakes. I remember that a lot when I was young and playing football and organizing stuff. But yeah, it it. it I, but I can say around around middle school things got interesting. Um for me there was a lot less of that and i can't really pinpoint why but um yeah i hope i hope it sticks i hope i hope we don't over schedule him i know hockey season starting he just did some tryouts and schools coming into this remote situation and we're trying to do some things i just hope i hope i can remember to keep on the schedule just some play time some mindless time kick him out of the house and, and have at it well, yeah, like we were talking, it's super important. And I think also as parents and the way society is, everybody thinks that you have to have your kids in nine different sports. You have yeah. to be busy, 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 busy. You have to go, go, go. I mean, you just went to Bend, Oregon, and I got a story about Bend. We moved there back in 2002, I think it was, because from Portland, because our lives were so busy in Portland. Yeah. And we actually moved to Prineville, Oregon, which is, you know, uh, north and east of there but that was the whole reason why we went to we moved there is because to slow down because in that portland city life you know it's just like you feel like you got to be at this sport you got to feel mm. like you got to be at this thing you feel like you got to you know basically be keep up with the joneses and when we moved to prineville man it was like slowed way down i mean it it was the best living ever and then we moved here to Gig Harbor. 
the reason why we moved to Gig Harbor is because it was a smaller town and sure. it was a little easier going at the time. I mean, now the place is just blown up. And then so then we eventually moved out of there and now we're out in the country. But we, it's all just because it's just too busy. It's crazy for me to hear you say that you moved to Bend for a slower pace of life because, you know, to me when we were in Bend and, um, you know, um, I'm missing my daughter's youngest, I'm missing my youngest daughter's birthday um, to be in the Elkwoods when we're on our backcountry trip. Um, <clears throat> and to make up for that, Eliza organized this little, my, she's obsessed with campers. I was telling you before call, I don't know yeah. how she got obsessed with campers. Like Mason got Legos and she wanted him to build her a camper. <laughs> I'm like, what is this camper business? And, um, and, uh, Eliza found this like, uh, RV park that has a couple, um, a couple vintage trailers that are um, remodeled, and it was cool. So we went out there for the weekend. But man, that's a recreating city. If you want to, oh, yeah. if you want to, if you want ideas for outfitting your Sprinter van, go to Bend. I mean, you saw, yeah, you saw, everywhere. yeah, you see redos, um, remods of these things, um, Outlanders. I mean, I we walked by one guy's outfit, and this guy had he had stand up paddles, bikes kayaks shovels water everything bolted to the outside of this rig and then i peeked on the inside because he was still in there it was outfitted with all kinds of climbing gear i was like this guy's a re and skis this guy was just a recreating crazy man and um <laughs> i guess ben's the place to do all that right i mean they, they had yeah. a they had this cool thing i guess you said it's the deschutes that runs through bend correct and we floated it with um Liza's boss was down there too. So we just got tubes and floated it with the masses. And um, they have this cool part set up by one of the parks where they have rapids set up that are kind of man built. And then there's even some folks surfing to the right. Oh, yeah. And, and it was cool. Um, that was neat. I mean, it was super crowded and super fun. But I didn't see, I mean, how do you keep a place like Bend cool? Because, I mean, like you just said, you went there for a slower pace of life. I didn't see that. I just saw we were there on Labor Day. It was crazy. There were a lot of people, but it, it was great. That was It's a cool city. Lots, lots of great to eat. If you've never been to Bend, Oregon, I would say check it out. Yeah, well, we lived in Prineville, which is it was 45 minutes away, and it, it was a town of nine. Only 65,000. And I think now it's over a hundred thousand. Okay. So I mean, it's growing so so fast. I remember twenty five years ago, it was only twenty eight thousand people or something like that in Bend. I mean, it, in Bend, yeah. <laughs> you know, when I had my concrete company there, it, it, it's kind of interesting. Um, in two thousand and two, we built this. I had this one um, contractor that we did business for, and he had this subdivision, and he was going in three phases. There's 99 homes. Each phase was 33. They're all the same type of track homes, right? The first set of homes he sold for 380000 The second phase he sold for 580000 mm. And the third phase he sold for 850000 Ooh, that's nice. And that, that's all in a four-year, five-year period. And then in 2007, when everything tanked, by 2009, those same homes were worth 380 again. Wow. I wonder where they're at now because all I saw was, all I saw was growth in Mercedes. I mean, <laughs> yeah, Sprinter vans. 
you know, I couldn't believe it. Um, so, so we'll see. And I'll tell you what, if I, I wish I could remember the name of, the, of this taco stand, um, we went El Sancho something or another. This is the greatest street tacos I've ever had. And they had this great street corn. Um, that is good. It was, it's a place that I'd like to go again, but, um, but I, I brought it up to you because for the first time, um, I got a taste of what we're going to get into. Um, when we oh, head out for, when we head out to Eastern Oregon, it all of a sudden when you drive out there, I don't know exactly when the change hits, but it got brown real quick and open. Did you guys go um, over twenty six? Did you go through Portland or did you go up through the Dalles? We okay, so we drove down through the Dalles and then we came up through the through Portland. We wanted to get home a little quicker, okay. but yeah, we went through the Dalles and we went actually went through a really cool town. It began with a W. And it reminded me of something I might see in West Texas. Womack. Yeah, Is yeah. That... And all this town was was a. It looked like a high school football stadium, fly shops, and um, and rafting outfitters. And I was like, "This is awesome." <laughs> oh, I think you were. That was mopping. Yeah, something like that. And um, saw a couple elk on some private land, which was cool. So um, big open country. It was rolling and brown, and 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 I'm excited, man. Uh, but. And two, along with along with it getting brown real fast, it got hot quick. Oh yeah, it's a little warmer over there. It is. It is a lot warmer. But you know, uh, man, I I love that area over there. It was great raising the kids over in Prineville. And uh, Prineville. Yeah, Prine Prineville, the was, home of Les Schwab, baby. That's was, where he was. At his store, first store. We saw some Les Schwab stuff, and it made me think of you because you brought his name up a few times, but. Um, it, it, I did get to think and leave in Bend. I was like, you know, the move probably isn't moving to Bend. The boom, the move is moving like an hour from Bend. You know, yeah. like Sisters or something. Or I got to check this other town out. We drove through some other little towns around there. But um, the wife was nervous when I told her this is where we're hunting. I said, I think we're a little further east, to be honest with you. She goes, well, I think there's rattlesnakes out there. Are there rattlesnakes out there? Um... <laughs> You know, I don't think so because we're going to be pretty high up in elevation. We'll be at five to nine thousand, eight thousand feet. So, okay, cool. Um, we're fairly. In, we could run into a few rattlesnakes, but I've never seen one up there. Sweet. But the particular spot that you and I are going, we could because there's a lot of rock formations, and that's where they like to hang out. Sweet. But I mean, they taste good, so I don't really care. Yeah, how do we harvest them? That's what I. That was my first question. I was like, well. That'd be a cool thing to get, but I just gotta we'll get. Just it. take our blunt tip and pin them down, and then cut their heads off. Okay, I like it. You you sound confident. Yeah, <laughs> okay? I'm not scared. It's just like that. <laughs> Very cool. But um, you know, I am in preparation for it. So I I you know I put together this like backcountry um this legs and lungs backpack challenge, and I'm actually kind of simmering down, and I'm kind of going off program this last week going into our first opening weekend. Um, I'm at an 80 pound pack and two miles every day. Wow. Um, and I feel great. So I've done it two, I've done it two days and today was particularly interesting because, um, I've been getting up. I got up at three forty-five today and I was out the door by four o'clock. So I was hiking in the dark behind my house where we, and it's a little easier. It's a little harder to think we do have a bear in DuPont now. Uh, he's a local thing. <laughs> and we do have coyotes, and I'll tell you what I'm. I, I'm hoping I can keep it up because I want to get over this hiking in the dark business. But um, 
I think that the I think the pack and the legs are going to be good, but um, the one thing here in Dupont, we are pretty close to sea level. I mean, um, uh, we were up in Bend at about five thousand feet. There were some we were pretty high coming back, but um, uh, that'll that'll be interesting to see how that works. Yeah, no, that will be interesting. Um, I've noticed with me, I've acclimated because I've been up in the high country so much, so I acclimate pretty quick. Yeah. But I got that, would it be muscle memory or lung memory? How would you say it for your lung capacity? Oh, I, don't, I don't know. I think there has to, yeah. I mean, there has to be some, I don't know. I think your body reverts to what it's comfortable with. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'll, and I'll put, it, I'll put it another way where you might just acclimate to that high country because you grew up there. You know, like, you know, playing football, I've always done a lot of bench pressing. So, like, I always have, like, I feel like no matter what, no matter how much time I take off it, I'll have about a 275 bench, you know. And right now, you know, I'm doing a workout. I'm looking at my board. I I maxed it out. I did a, I did 264 for a triple not too long ago. It's just some things linger. So maybe, I don't know. We'll have to look into the research. I don't know if lungs, I don't know if the, the lung capacity, I will say in terms of my training knowledge, a lot of that, um, they're, Aerobic capacity is something that will diminish if you don't train it pretty quickly. It doesn't; right. those gains won't linger like strength gains. So, if you're if you're really pushing hard for aerobic gains, you probably want to do every three days. So, the one thing I'm going to do next week after after we come back from camping and elk hunting, the opener that that four days before we go to Oregon. I'm probably going to lay off the pack, let the body simmer, but I'll probably run pretty hard. I'll get on the treadmill and hit some high intensity intervals and just to um just to get the lungs ready. So we'll see how that goes, but no, I don't know. I wonder I wonder if there are long-term effects to being at elevation and how long they linger. I think that's a good question. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Are you so when you're running, are you going to do any kind of um resisting your breathing like keep the mask on to kind of simulate so what what i've done and what i think i'm going to do is rather than wear the mask while i run i think the move is to wear a mask or to focus on your your breathing during the recovery okay so i won't i don't have like an altitude mask um or one of these um masks but what i'll probably do is uh so i do these my running setup is I have three workouts. I do a one-by-one one interval, one minute on, one minute off, three minutes, the same interval, and then I'll do like a long run. And then I do a recovery run. So excuse me, there's four workouts. I'll just rotate. Next week, I won't get all four in. Um, but um, So on my rest stations, I'll probably put some mask on and just – or what I do is I force myself to breathe through my nose as quickly as I can. And then during those recovery sessions, the idea is to um, push CO2 out and get oxygen in, which is breathing, but there's some different breathing protocols you can do. So what I focus on is a a quick short in and then a out. And that's how I know I'm recovered. So what I do in my interval sets is how quickly can I get down to that? So, um, okay. And it, it's there's all kinds of fun stuff to tinker with with this breathing, um, and so that's what I'll get into. But um, I don't know. I think probably the best way to acclimate to altitude is to be at altitude. You know, yeah, I, don't, I don't have that's a ch- what's going to happen. Yeah, so we'll get there. <laughs> so it's probably a matter of you know, 
but this is where I think like the training's important. Like even this two, even this week here or what I've been doing with the pack, like I feel like I've raising the minimum of compliance with my body. Like if my body's home base is 80 pounds on your back, you know, and, and waking up early and getting some miles in, then I just feel like my ceiling's a little bit higher to adapt once we're out there. Right. My, my, yeah. you know, um, so we'll see, but you know, that, that breathing thin air, that's going to be different. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? It will be different. <laughs> you know, I haven't been wearing my pack or nothing. I've been um, doing a lot of construction lately for, just uh but what i have been doing at the house is <clears throat> i fell a bunch of trees yeah big trees like 40 inch diameter trees and they're down the hill so i've been splitting them in half throwing them on my shoulder and then packing them up to the truck which is 100 150 feet away mm-hmm. and just doing round and round and then i bring them up to the house and then i chop them all so one truckload takes about 5 hours yeah, see, and what you get when you do that is similar to what I'm doing. Like, see, I do that crap in the garage, and I do it with, like, med ball twists and, and plof presses and different transverse plane movements. You know, you're doing work, and there's real benefit. You know, those, you know when you're carrying a 40-inch log, that's an awkward carry. That's, that's loaded on one side of the body, and then there's compensation on the other. When you're swinging an axe, that's about as transverse plane as you get. And there's just so much core benefit to that. And, you know, where you're getting the body ready in a more of a functional way than I am in the gym. And Yeah, I feel like Rocky Balboa in Rocky yeah, number four. That's right. You're doing that. You know what I mean? And, and I'm just kidding. And, and the, the, the thing is, though, I think between the two of us, where we can meet in the middle of how we're prepping for it is – you know, our minimum levels of activity are pretty freaking high, right? So yeah. we're doing enough where once we get into the, once you get into the woods, you're not, the shock, I th- there's always, there's going to be a shock in all moment when you really do your sport. Like I would say, um, I'll, I'll make another analogy. We would train all summer for football camp. And then when you showed up to football camp, you got your ass kicked. <laughs> no matter yeah. what, no matter how in shape you were, football camp sucked. And then it was always crazy that no matter how hard or how much you prepared in football camp, by the first quarter of the first game, you were gassed. You know, there's just certain things you're just yeah. not going to be able to simulate or prepare for. But what I think training does and being active does and chopping wood does and carrying your pack does, it'll get you over that shock and all. And then, like, it might take you a few hours, it might take you a day, whatever it takes you to do, but eventually you'll settle in and be like, oh, wait, 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 wait. I'm ready for this. Get it together, and let's just go to work. You know what I mean? This is just like chopping wood. This is just like doing your plof press. You know what I mean? Like, I'm ready for this. You know what I mean? So, um, Well, and it'll minimize injury too, right? Yeah, and you're building resiliencies and you're doing it rather than just go, oh, shit, let's see what happens, so... However you're doing it, whether you're checking into our legs and lung challenge or you have a wood chopping protocol or, you know, maybe you're following. Uh, I think last time I talked with Trent, he was bringing up some guy he uses. Um, even those guys are all different. You know, you look at the born and raised guys and you think they all do the same stuff all the time. But, you know, the, you follow some of their off-season stuff. Like, um, what was it, Steve and Cody? No, Steve and Travis. They're, uh, they have a trainer. Um Trent uses a guy. 
Um, they're doing this uh, field of pursuit thing, and then um, you know it, you got to do what you got to do. Whatever helps you build confidence and be stronger going into the woods than you were the year before. I think you're doing it all right. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. So, and there's no best way, right? It's just like you said. It's just whatever suits you. Yeah, you got to tinker with it. Like I remember my first elk camp with you guys. I was training. I was, I had this idea that if I could do a 315 back squat for 20 reps, that was going to get my legs ready. And I didn't get to the 20 reps. I ended up getting like a 315 for like 12, but I did sets of fives and, and whatnot, and my legs were strong, but my wind wasn't ready. And then the second year, I was like, okay, I can back off the weights. 315 isn't, that's not what we need to do. I need to do more lunges and I'll run more. And then you know, that felt pretty good. And then even this year, I was like, I think my I need to just get the back a little stronger, more pack time. So you should always tinker with it. I think there's always room for it. And I would tell anyone who talks in absolutes and says like, this works for everybody all the time is an idiot. That's just not the way it works. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. You know. Yeah, we're all. I mean, we're all built different. <laughs> I mean, right. you look at me. My legs. I got these chicken legs, but I got a big upper torso. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it's it's funny, but that's just how I'm built. I mean, I can't do three fifteen squats. I mean, I think my max ever was three eighty five back in high school, and that yeah. was working out every single day. But these legs just don't. They're not powerful. Sure, we got long limbs. <clears throat> So, you know, whatever you're into, you should just be trying to get better, you know, and finding different ways, you know, something will come as long as you're sticking with it. So, but, um, so I think we're, we're, I think what we're doing this weekend for the Washington opener is really smart. Um, you know, I've never done what we're going to do in Oregon, but I'm super excited for it to get like a full, you know, seven to nine days out in the woods, chasing elk, living out of a backpack, you know, um, I'm reading these, you know, again, I'm reading these in my mental prep is reading these books about mountain men and, you know, Indian fighters and Indians. And man, that to a T, I'll tell you this, nobody who, nobody who was wandering this part of the country in the 1800s didn't romanticize it. Yeah. Trapping, hunting, fighting, you know, rendezvous life was awesome. So I'm I'm fired up to get a taste of it. But I think what we're doing that's pretty smart is kind of doing like a small camp with our with our hunting party where we're just kind of prepping for it rather than doing the big camp setup. Well, we'll be on the fringes of the big camp setup, but we're we'll get our feet wet with with a short weekend to you know to kind of dial in stuff. Yeah, no, it's going to be fun. We're going to pack up to the top of the mountain and just kind of have a satellite camp and. Um, I think there'll be six of us. So. Oh, is it going to be six? Because I know it was going to be. It was me, you, Tim, and Dave. Uh, and then oh, and Andre, right? Oh, we got Dre. Yeah. And then Jacob's coming, Dave's son. Oh, cool. Because Dave is staying up there all week, so he brought his son up there to to hang out with him. Oh, fired up! That's really cool. Well, that'll yeah. be that'll so we'll be have three right? kind of three hunting parties. Cool. And then that means multiple trucks for when we get wrote, you know, elk down. We'll get some help. <laughs> we'll call in the Yeah, re- bring your mountain bike, by the way. Oh, I, I forgot to tell you that. I you am, have a bike? I am staring at my mountain bike, and I'm staring at my um, spare tire bike rack, sir. So I am ready to go. <laughs> okay, good. Because uh, 
where we're hunting, if we do get something down, we can bike it to the to the uh, gate. Sweet. And I, I don't know. I was wondering, too. I mean, not, we'll get into the camping situation in a minute, but I wonder if this isn't a good spot to run that Born and Raised playbook one day. If, if if things are quiet, to just get on the road and, and bugle in basins and just cover ground as well. Yeah, and that's basically what we've we've done in yeah. the past too. We just hike, hike the ridge, but um, we're going to be dropping down into a lot of rivers and creeks. Creeks. <laughs> we'll see for tires. We'll get the we'll get the thing on that. But um, so you brought up a cool question, and I think would be a cool kind of topic to kind of spitball on. It's like where to set up your camp. You know, and um, yeah. it, at first, logistics of it are really interesting because, you know, we are going to be in a public land spot with pressure. I mean, one spot we walked through with the boys, I mean, we saw one trail cam up, we saw a couple trucks, people are prepping their spots already. But, you know, I heard, you know, I was sitting on this Treeline Pursuits webinar, and they talked about how they're just so disappointed. One of the things is to kind of, set up these remote camps off trail and off road because some people are just sons of bitches and steal your shit. So, Oh, I know that's what's crock. Yeah. So like, uh, you know, I do like both of our camp setups, but I am a little worried about the high camp we want to do because that road does lead up there. And I'm just, you know, you always like to say no one's going to be up there, but if some jackass, if the wrong jackass walks up there, you know, that, that just is a bother. Well, we are going to be off of the beaten path a little bit. Yeah. We're not going to be on that landing per se. What we'll do is we'll, we'll cut down off of that landing somewhere. Yeah. Um, because yeah, people do come and steal your crap and or if they're pissed that you're in their area, right? People think that they threw a stake down and it's their claim. Yeah. I so grew up here. <laughs> malicious, but, um, what I was thinking, maybe we could get a paper plate and then we'll just um, write on it. You're being watched. Yeah, that's no, right. Joking. That's right. <laughs> we do have a trail cam, jackass. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and Dave does have a trail cam. He he ended up getting a couple of them, so we could put one up in the area to see, you know. Yeah. But and that's one way to do it. But yeah, you can't get. I read a story about five years ago, I think maybe four years ago about a guy that went into the Eagle cap wilderness and he backpacked in and he got, you know, way, way back in there. And, um, he went down, he, he put it, put all of his stuff down and didn't set up camp. He just put it down and went over the Ridge and then was hunting and he came back. All of his stuff was gone and he was 10 miles in son of a bitch. Yeah. I'll tell you. So somebody on horseback, obviously, grabbed the jacked shit. shit. Yeah, it was. Pro- I mean, you, you hate to speculate on any of that and who it was, but that's lame. I, yeah, it sucks. I was. It pretty, does happen. I was pretty lucky. We went out. We went out hiking with the family and another family up to. Um, where did we hike up to? Uh, Blue Lake in the Cascades. It was a cool hike. It was like four mile hike, three miles. Whatever, it was a cool hike. It was one of the first hikes I did with my new pack. And uh, there were trout in that um, lake up there. And I was fly fishing and catching them. Well, I guess the two families, one being my wife and kids, and the other family decided they didn't want to stay anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And they left me. (laughs) And when I come back to the the trailhead, because what I had done is we were all in this spot. 
and I just left my pack there, unpacked my fly rod, and went and caught some fish, and I walked back. And there's my pack, and I'm I'm telling you, there were two Russian goons staring at it. And like I think I got oh, back, really? I think I got back just in time, and and I was just milling around myself. But people do it. I've even seen crazy videos of like old women on the beach trying to walk off with people's like uh, tents, and the guys like, "Hey man, that's my tent," and the ladies are like, "What?" You know, and they're trying to convince this guy that it's not his. So I don't know, man. You can't always avoid the bad folks. So I guess it's just. You got to get you got to get off the I mean and that's probably the good advice for even hunting elk in these high pressure spots. You just got to get off trail a little bit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I I 100% agree. And and I I've already kind of thought about that because well, one of two things, the ground where it's all gravel. Yeah, it's hard. You know, it's a gravel base, so it's hard to put your Tent, um, tents up and stake them in so we'd have to get off the beaten path plus when you get into the tree lines a little bit too um the ground is softer yeah because i'm getting old that's and, right and um and uh it's also kind of more insulated so we just got to get up there and find a nice flat spot which will be easy i mean even if we cut down on the backside, on the side that we came up there was a couple of really nice flat spots yeah. there too and you're protected by the wind in the timber. I mean, even that yeah. one hunt, even that one camping spot that we found where we ended up camping with the boys, it was amazing how just like 30 meters up the mountain, how much more wind it was than that one spot. I mean, if you're setting yeah. up a big camp, that, that, that spot was pretty legit. So here's another thing, like your thoughts, and we can spitball a little bit on even setting up your camp. Like, is it cool to camp? I mean, was it Randy Newberg? He'll say he wants to be about a mile or two where he wants to actually hunt and kind of hike in. And, you know, some guys will say, you know, whatever. I mean, what are your thoughts? I mean, because we're we're pretty much camping where we're hunting. Yeah, and if if you look at all of our camp spots, we're always camping where we're hunting. I mean, you know, Tim last two years ago in the same spot where our camp was, there was an elk 50 yards away from camp. Yeah. Um, it's, to me, it's unavoidable Sure. to not camp in the, if you're going to be hunting elk, to not be in your elk woods. And you just got to figure out where the compromise is, is okay, where is the higher traffic of elk going to be? And where the less, you know, the, where the, where, where are most of the elk going to be hanging out and where are the few going to be hanging out? And you kind of just pick where the few is. And it's just, it's, I'll hunt in the middle of my elk woods. I don't really care. Yeah. I've woke up in the morning and I've had elk and deer prints in my footprints in my camp remotely. Sure. And they've came through, uh, uh, five, four or five years ago in the area, kind of similar to where we're going we were a little further South, we had elk coming right through camp opening morning Huh. and you, they were you could hear the cow calling and it was literally 50 yards away. You don't know where they're going to travel, where they're not going to travel. You have to find flat ground to set up camp. Sometimes those are in the saddles where they like to, you know, those are travel corridors. So it really doesn't bother me, but then you just got to think, okay, the elk are going to be within or going to be outside of a certain parameter, like that mile that Randy says or whatever. So you try to pull back as far as you can and not like camp dead smack in the best spot, right? You don't want to, 
you don't want to be in the middle of the clear cut and set up camp yeah. <laughs> when you're on the west side of the on the west side of the Cascades because that's where the elk feed. So that's where you don't want to be, but you want to be off the fringe a little bit and then, you know, try to play the wind right where the wind predominantly comes from and all that other stuff. But yeah. So, well, this, I mean, weather's always interesting, but the thermal situation is relatively predictable. So what, is there even a benefit like of if, if, Let's say you get it. You get an idea of where the elk are elevation-wise. Is there a thought to whether your camp's high or low? Does that matter? Because what are, what are the thermals doing in the morning? I mean, that air is sun's coming up, the wind's wor- going down. Okay, typically. But where we hunt, there's so many creeks, canyons. There's a lot of different microthermals, and the wind goes all over the place. So it's it's kind of hard to predict it predict and that's what's really tough i think you can have all these different plans but you know the the spot that we're hunting the opener it's it's a high pressured you know roosevelt thick timbered logging spot you know i mean yeah you know it it's it's trying to find a way to make the pressure work for you and i I, try to find the highest points honestly because that's where the wind kind of just shoots up it can be swinging, flipping, and dipping. I mean, you just look like our camp a couple of weeks ago. Where was it coming from most of the time? It was coming from the west. Sure. It was blowing from the west most probably 90, 95% of the time we're there. And that's what we find out south and, and west is where the winds come from. We're on this coastal range. Okay. So you pick the top and then you just kind of play like an elk and, you know, three quarters of the way up the mountain. I mean, that's... There's a reason why they do that. It's because how the wind comes up and they can easily jump and then or over and then they can jump and be gone. Well, but, and that's what happened when we were scouting. I mean, when you finally took the lead and told the boys to shut up, <laughs> <laughs> we did get a fresh track and, and jump an elk. Um, you know, so they're in there and, and, and some other things. And um, no, the, the, the camp situation's interesting, you know, um, you know. But Randy, he might he might have his ideas, but he's also said that you don't leave elk to find elk too, right? So, right. I mean, if you get into them, you try to keep them comfy, and then you make your play on it, right? You just try to. I, there was one guy I was listening to talking about stalking, right? And he goes, "A, a real good stalk is it's successful as long as you don't stalk your way out of the hunt. Right. So you just got to keep doing things that keep you in the game." Right. So that's what I actually like about the mobile camp situation anyway, rather than, you know, having all this stuff and do that. Like if you decide, okay, we got to go somewhere else. It's a lot easier to move a tent than it is, you know, a a stove, uh, the awning, three tables, you know, all this, all that, you know, it's just, you know, get it in your backpack and go. That might take, you know, 30 minutes as opposed to, you know, half a day. So, um, right. Put the fire out. So, you know, I think there's benefits to it, but it'd be cool if anyone out there listening, you know, how how do you camp? I know, um, you know, and just like I said a second ago, any idiot that says this works all the time for everybody, it's the same thing with these camp setups. I mean, topography, terrain, pressure, it's all going to change what the animal does. And I just think you have to set up in a way probably that just keeps you in the mix. You know, if you if you're hearing elk talk, 
and you're close to them, you're doing all right. And I think the longer you're close to them, the, the, the higher your likelihood of getting into one. Right. And you know, with so many people, they overthink the situation to, you know, beyond what it needs to be because who's to say, okay, well, I'm not going to camp there. And then you get there and some other dude is, Mm -hmm. and you decided not to. And then you go back the next day and he's got this elk down. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're trying to avoid and stay, you know, this certain distance away from the elk, other people are got a different idea about it. So you just got to go with your gut feeling and just, you know, you look at the map, you, you do your e scouting and or boots on the ground, and you get up there and you go. This will be a good spot, Let's and go. it's never going to be the best or the greatest spot, but it's going to be the best spot for your accessibility and to be at the elk. And then if there's high pressure, who want you want to be the one to see the elk first. And if you're further away, you're not going to be the one seeing them first. No, I agree with that. A lot of the times. So there's probably even if, as you do get into that, I wonder <laughs> if it has more to do with like camp, how you run your camp as opposed to where you set up your camp, you know, like keeping yeah. it quiet, you know, exactly. not, not too many whiskey drinks, you know what I mean? Like, you know, don't trash the place, you know, cause if you're, you know, there's lots of things that, you know, the more you trash it, the more you got to clean it up hopefully right you know beer cans this and that and the other thing and so it, it, it i almost wonder if the idea isn't to worry so much where you set up camp about just being a good camper and I, i'd imagine a good elk camper is just someone who isn't in camp much for one yeah <laughs> and then also when they're in camp is just you know you're quiet you're resting your bones and you know you're focused more on keeping your feet dry than wetting your whistle <laughs> exactly because i mean you and Rob went up uh, up to the top of the ridge, and then me. I took the kids on the road because they're starting to melt down. So I just said, "Hey, we're got to play a game here, boys." Yeah, yeah. And and so you guys went up top, but how loud were they when you were uh, a half a mile away? It's crazy how much that sound <laughs> travels. So I wonder too. That's another reason to just set your camp in the timber a bit to just yeah. muffle your voice, you know, because it does carry. I mean, and I was amazed by that to be honest, and I thought. And it was funny you bring that up because when we were with the boys and me and Rob went to do, go take that bigger peak, I thought y'all were a lot closer than you were. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's crazy, man. It is crazy. The, the sound travels quite a distance. So I think your theory to kind of be a good camper and keep keep the decimals down when you're at camp is a great idea. With six of us, it's it's going to be a little bit loud, but we just got to remember to, you know, Hey, use your quiet voice. Yeah, yeah, that's you right. Know? And and we still laugh and have fun and and do that experience, but it's you know just bringing it down a couple notches. Yeah, it's it, important. Know, there's the Anthrax movie, right? He's he, our amps go to eleven, and we need that Elk Camp amp where it takes it down to negative one. That's what we need. Yeah. We got to work that out. But uh, exactly, yeah, there's some considerations, but I think we'll get good practice and um. Uh, I'll tell you one thing I am going to do. I've been on a, and if you're listening to this, you're like, he said his name again. I've been on this Randy Newberg kick and I, he's actually like a good person to watch with the kids. Cause his, his, his fresh track show is pretty good and it's on the Amazon, but, um, he actually had a really good Instagram post and something I never thought of about taking care of your feet and about how, 
he when he's milling around in camp, he doesn't wear his boots or his socks that he's going to wear when he hunts. He goes, that's the last thing I put on. He goes, <laughs> I have socks on and my camp boots. And when I'm getting my pack ready, doing this, doing that, because you start to perspire. And I guess from his standpoint, you know, boot management and foot management is all about working the moisture. And it, it was a good thought. So, you know, even walking around on my Crocs, you know, that'll keep things down a little bit. Yeah. And it'll keep my feet dry, right? I know, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a, There's nothing more refreshing than after the end of the day taking your boots off and then having a nice pair of Crocs or whatever you're shoe of choices well i think i'm gonna bring tell me this you know we're talking about two different things one getting ready for the opener but two this opener is i'm looking at it i want to kill an animal obviously it'd be awesome to fill two elk tags after not filling any my whole life let's get two this year but um (laughs) i'm gonna bring my crocs on the backcountry trip they seem to make sense i want an extra camp shoe they're light you know and um you know I'm pretty sneaky in my Crocs, so if I have to go boots off, I can still protect my feet and put the stalk on. I mean, yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to bring my Crocs too. Okay, so that's not that's not that. So you think putting Crocs in the backcountry trip where we're trying to manage weight, you don't think that's a uh, indulgence? You think that's a necessity? I think it is a necessity, <laughs> okay. especially if we come up on a creek or a river and we have to cross it. It sucks having all that weight on your back and then be barefoot. It, it doesn't feel very good. So those Crocs, when you strap those on, it's like shoot a cut right through. Okay, cool. I don't feel. I felt you know. I got some neon green Crocs. You know, I felt that might be an indulgence, but no, on board. Let's go. Uh, you won't lose them. Yeah, let's get. That's right. Let's do this. Let's find what. What's one other? What's one thing that for sure you're going to have in your backpack? Um, you're going to test maybe this weekend coming up that you're testing out to see if you need it or don't. That's kind of, is there a fringe item that you're going to bring with you this weekend that you think you're bringing that you might not bring the following week? No, because I've done this a few times before. So I've kind of got it down with, I know exactly what I need and what I don't need. Yeah. I tell you, I did get two new items though. What do you got? I got my platypus two liter extra water containers Oh, nice and um i was gonna go with the four liter and i thought you know what i'm gonna go with two two liters because if um i don't use one i could just leave it at camp yeah and the empty one i could take with me so i don't have two of them but i'll have two of them for us on our backpacking trip because excuse me because when we find water we're gonna need it we're gonna have to load up so we got to have as much as what so now i have with my four liters in that I already have, or three liters, and then those four, I'll have seven liters of water and shouldn't. Yeah, I have two two-and-a-half-liter um, bladders, but I was thinking of running one bladder and one algae bottle. So I'm kind of tinkering with some of that. So, But, I mean, that that's interesting, too. I'm You bring water up. I've not hunted in a place where the water source matters because there's water everywhere here. Yeah. So right. that... Does that is that going to change the hunting strategy out there? I mean, will we be sitting water more or more thoughtful of where water is? Oh yeah, we're gonna. Um, I've got seven to nine different locations where I've located just for water. Sweet. Okay. So that um, because it is part of the strategy because we're gonna have to use we're gonna have to drink it. The elk are gonna have to drink it. 
there's um <clears throat> and like i told you before sometimes we don't have water for a while and you get to a water source we'll drink 32 64 ounces of water just in that sitting into where you're almost going to puke and then you load up your pack and then you go do you because... ever do you ever mess with hydration supplements Mm-mm. something like a i've been i tinker with nun tabs and then this liquid iv stuff and then oh yeah I've, I've done that my daughter just got a bunch of that liquid iv so i was going to try that is one thing i'm going to try this weekend is that liquid iv yeah tinker with that and then another thing that some folks do and i've done it is i just use the pink himalayan sea salt sometimes i'll just drop some of that in the water so um i'll mix and match with it but i wonder that 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 will help i think some of that <clears throat> so we should Make sure we have those in the pack too. Um, no, it's interesting. It's fun stuff to talk about. I can't believe we're days away, sir. We're days I away. I know, man. Well, uh, I'm fired up. Yeah, I am. I'm pumped, fired up, ready to do it. Um, some some things to take care of and some things to practice. But uh, it'd be cool. It'd be cool to get things kicked off. Um, I mean, you killed your cow in the same spot that first morning, right? Yeah. And then we tracked it, and um, you know we got into them i i expect a lot of action the first day and i you know and if we're if we're all killing animals the first day and spending the next one packing them out that's a good that's a good good weekend for me i'm ready amen and the wife i'm I'm excited the wife wife keeps asking if you get one this weekend are you still going on your the other trip that your mom's flying in for I said, well, she ain't not flying in because I'm killing an animal. So, yeah, I'm still going. So, <laughs> but, but, but I've been trying to do my due diligence as a dad to, you know, let her plan some stuff this summer. And, and we did this other trip to Bend and some other stuff. But um, I'm excited, man. It, we're here. We're here, brother. Yep, we are here. The light is at the end of the tunnel is getting quite large. That's right. It's so funny how these things, you talk about them all year, and then they just sneak up on you. It's crazy. Oh, it's nuts. <laughs> like I was running around. I was running. I tried to go up to Sportco yesterday to grab some calls. They were closed. They oh, had, yeah, Labor Day? Yeah, they had a guy in the parking lot not even letting people go in the parking lot. He was, like, waving people out of the parking lot. I was like, okay. Oh, that's odd. So I had to go to Bass Pro Shop, so I got a couple of different calls. So I couldn't get any. I just wanted to get some calls. So I really liked the Phelps calls, but I didn't get any Phelps calls. So um, Which ones did you get? Uh, I've used the Rocky Melt. Um, oh, okay. I've, who are they? The old Bugling Bull. Bugling Bull. Yeah, well, now they're Rocky Melton hunting calls. But yeah. I I got the um they have they had a cool three pack, um that I like um, but they're all they're all pretty tightly wound uh good bull calls um, mature cow sounds um, all my calls will be older animals this year <laughs> I don't have a <laughs> so we got that Very going ones, huh? so Colin Colin's good I was practicing all day yesterday um so there it is that'll be my finishing touch I mean last year I was doing a lot more calling but this week. Um, in fact, my middle school lesson I got to teach remotely today, the opening question to get to know you is what's an unusual talent you have. And I'm going to open up all my classes by belting out a nice bugle for the kiddos. So uh, nice. you didn't know I could talk elk, did you, kid? So that that's the <laughs> So I got that going. Well, that's cool, man. Awesome. Any last preparations you're making for this weekend besides checking out your uh, – I know this is kind of the same question I asked you before, but – I know you've been at this. Um, you got the water bladders, maybe running some hydration, but um, 
But you know, I, I wonder if it's different because you usually set up a big camp. Or you, you feel like you're going into this one just, you know, you think? Do you think because you're going in with less, you're going to forget more? <laughs> no, dude, I'm so excited because um, it it takes about three hours yeah. to four hours, you know, to unload and load and to do all that stuff, and just to be able to take my pack only, I am fired up. Good, because there's a lot of the thought and preparation that goes into that, right? Organizing the meals, organizing. I mean, and it's just like, it's so nice to know that all I'm doing is showing up with my pack and I have everything and anything I need inside that sucker. So yeah, I feel like I'm going to be more prepared because I will be able to put all my thought into my pack and not my pack and camp. And I'm glad you just said that because it made me think of one more thing I need to pick up. And I've forgotten it. All three years I've hunted in the elk woods. And all three years you've told me I need them. I need snippers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I need to get a damn set of snips. good snips. I need a pair of snips. And I just keep forgetting them. In fact, Mason reminded me yesterday. So on our way back from hockey practice, we're going to get them. So, um, <laughs> well, cool, Set man. Set your alarm. That's it. We'll say snips. To tell you. Snips. Um, well, cool, man. I'm excited. This was fun to chat about, gang. I hope you're excited for your hunt to come, um, whether it's elk or deer or, or whatnot. But uh, get out this fall. Enjoy the outdoors. Um, it'll be the best thing you can do. So that's it'll be the it. funnest thing you do. That's it. Well, hopefully. I hope. You know, it's always been fun. You know, and I, I can't. I Hopefully it's. I'd like to I'd like to experience all the fun this year, and that includes not just packing out other people's animals, but getting one down myself. So uh, we'll get it done. But um, you know, it's all in an effort, guys. We're we're trying to do our best to train, hunt, and live our best lives possible. Hopefully, we're helping you do that. But um, until the next one, Jeremy Day. Thanks for thanks for the chat, brother. Yeah, man. Ditto, brother. God bless America. Get it, guys. All right. Good stuff, Jeremy.